0: When my girls were little, I overheard them talking about a kid at school who everyone was labeling as weird. I nearly jumped out of my skin to interject myself into their conversation. I'd like to tell you that I played it totally cool and didn't make them feel bad for an innocent gossip sesh, but yeah, I didn't. I started in with, who gets to decide who and what we are? Would you like to be told what someone thinks of you before they even know you? And what is weird anyway? Let me tell you something, girls, it would be mighty boring if we were all the same. Like I said, totally cool. They sat there kind of gobsmacked. They were really little, and I think my heightened tone of voice probably freaked them out a bit. Wait, are we in trouble? I'm not sure I was able to make my point completely understood that day, but I never stopped saying it. I still say it. How boring if we were all the same. I'm Jenny B, and this is it, actually. This is it actually take a sip and grab a seat because this is it hello hello what's going on i'm here it's a bit of a dreary day sometimes they're hard but sometimes they're kind of the best actually i hope you're having a good start middle or end to your day and i appreciate very much being in your ear I got so many voice notes for this episode. I love that people are so intriguing and wild and that they have amazingly interesting stories to tell. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's big, sometimes it's outrageous, but it all counts. I've never really thought of myself as very interesting. I can't do impersonations, I'm a terrible actor, I don't play an instrument, and my singing leaves a little bit to be desired. I don't have two different colored eyes or any cute patterned freckles, and there are no distinguishing noticeable scars anywhere on my body. I can't do any stupid human tricks. I've never had an overly bizarre or weird job, though I was once asked to be a phone sex operator. I never did it, but that would have been good for this episode. When I was a kid, I kind of fell in line in terms of mainstream likes and dislikes. I collected stickers, just like everyone else. I watched popular shows, and I listened to top 40 popular music. I did my best to keep up with whatever current fashion trend was happening at any given time, though that was definitely trickier without having a fat wallet to support me. That combined with me starting to lean into the freedom of creating my own style was probably when my individual quirkiness was officially born. Everyone was sporting the lopsided bob, shaved on one side, long on the other, and I was shaving my head and leaving it spiky on top. Girls were wearing pretty pink cheeks and lips with pale eyes and long lashes. They wore turned-up collars and cute socks with topsiders. I was mixing purple and blue eyeshadow with Vaseline to make a corpse-colored lipstick. I smudged on smoky black liner, and I was wearing oversized cords with combat boots. I think the beauty of quirks back then—this was the 80s— is that sure, people had opinions about other people's fashion, but it wasn't nearly as scrutinized the way it started to be once social media was introduced. You kind of got to do whatever you wanted, even if it was a horrible, horrible fashion mistake. (laughs) I've seen a shift on social, though, in a lot of ways. Love your weird stuff, embrace your quirks, dance like everybody's watching, and don't give a shit what anyone thinks. I sucked my thumb for way too long. Like, I don't even know if I should be telling you that. Like, seriously, it was a really, really long time. Does that count as quirky? I talked to myself. I mean, I think most people do. But I remember as a kid walking down the street, having a full conversation with me, myself, and I, both sides, two different people hashing it out, whatever it was. With the advent of cell phones and people talking into earbuds, and at first it looked like they were chatting away with an imaginary friend, I remember thinking, I sure could have used a pair of those way back when. Fun fact, I love to dance. Full out, by myself. I'm not great, but I don't care. I've been caught on many occasions by my kids. Sometimes they join in, and sometimes it's all normal. Oh, hey mama, you dancing again? The other day, I had the music at a 10, And I was tidying up and dancing around, and the dog usually gets all fired up when she sees me going full out in a kitchen dance routine. I started laughing because she was being the cutest, wagging her tail and smiling at me. So I picked her up to snuggle her for a second, and my oldest daughter walked in after school with a friend. I turned around to find them both standing in the hallway looking at me, and my daughter says, um, were you just singing and dancing with the dog? Maybe. (laughs) I have a strawberry birthmark on my left thigh, and I have that stork's bite birthmark on the back of my neck, which, without the shaving of the head in high school, I would have never known that I have because it's hidden by my hairline. I had braces twice. First time train tracks, second time Invisalign. My crooked teeth were not the kind of crooked teeth that gave me personality, you know, like Jewel or Madonna, they were just crooked teeth. But if I think about myself as a kid with those chompers and my big nose and a deviated septum and my purple lipstick and my spiky hair and my hairy arms and my oversized clothing, I'd say it all counts as interesting and quirky. I have around 40 tattoos. Some of them blend together, but I think the cool thing is in winter you would never know. In fact, my kids sometimes forget that I even have them. Then when we start shedding layers in the spring, they're like, oh yeah, you look like that. (laughs) I've never had a coffee. I know, I know, you've heard it a million times, but that's just in case there are any new listeners. I smell really good. Like, it's my thing. I went out with a friend a couple of Fridays ago, I hadn't seen her in a while, and she had chopped her hair, and I was fawning over how cute she looks, and she told me that her stylist said it was time to lop off the negativity of the past few years. I was like, whoa, should I chop off the negativity? She looked at me with serious conviction and said, no, your hair is your thing. (laughs) What? It is? Oh, man, I had no idea. But don't think that I haven't thought of that every single day since I saw her. I've never won the lottery or any big prize amount for that matter, but I did win a pair of cougar boots when I was in elementary school through the local shoe store. I'm not overly ticklish, though I have been told that I have a great laugh. Actually, I was given the honor of best laugh in my high school yearbook. My favorite words are ricochet and love. The most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me was when I told John Cryer that I was about to go down for him, but I meant I was going down, in front of him, for a photo, because he's short. That's actually something I do a lot, not the going down thing, but the accidentally inappropriate thing. I used to think it was the ultimate in embarrassing quirks, but I learned over time that it's kind of my most adorable quirk, because it's just me, not overthinking who I am or what I should be saying, just being. In grade 12, I went to summer school. I'm terrible in math, and my grades in that subject were pulling down my overall average, so I took an OAC class in creative writing to try and bump it back up. Summer school happened in a neighboring town's high school, so I had to drive about half an hour every morning to get there. On my way one morning, I noticed a brand new Coca-Cola billboard being put up. It caught my eye because it was all things summer. Summer. It was of a girl in a bright blue pool laying on a floaty, sipping her Coke, while a cute guy, maybe a lifeguard, was in the background watching her live her best life. It was me, or I suppose the me I wanted to be, not summer school me just driving by. Anyway, I looked at that thing every day all summer long. One day, I happened to be in the store with my dad when the Coke driver showed up with his delivery. I asked him if he knew what they do with never used billboards. And what would be the chances that there was an extra billboard of the one I loved just hanging around? He laughed and said, what for? But then he saw how serious I was, and he said he'd ask. A couple of weeks went by, summer school ended, and I sort of forgot about my request. Then one day, Dad yelled into the house and said that something had arrived for me. I went in to see what it was and found a giant cardboard roll leaning up against the ice cream freezer. Kind of like how posters are packed, but way bigger and way thicker. It was my billboard. I have no idea how our guy got it or who he had to talk to, but there it was. So after a lot of measuring and cutting and swearing, I ended up being the only kid in my school, and I suspect far beyond that, to have a Coca-Cola billboard as bedroom wallpaper. My most prized possessions are the last voicemail my mom ever left me, Valentine's cards from my dad, every single note my kids have ever written me, a love letter, my tempur mattress topper, my photo albums, and a vintage candy dish full of dimes. I'm a small-town girl living in the big city, and I really like my kids, my dog, cupcakes, donuts, and ice cream. That's just me.
1: I lead a double life. No, not in the Clark Kent or Maxwell Smart kind of way. By night, I'm a traveling drummer for 13-piece brass hip-hop crew, My Son the Hurricane. A multi-horn, multi-drummer, multi-singer, brass funk beast. We've toured all over the world, making people dance and making them forget their troubles. It truly is the best gig. But when I'm off tour, by day I'm a mortician, a funeral director, or in the old wording, an undertaker. A person who takes care of your deceased loved ones. Most people in the music world, and the world in general, are shocked when they hear about this double life. And I admit, it is a bit of a contrast. Today I want to tell you the story of a random household object, the morgue, tour, and one of Canada's greatest troubadours, and how they all met up one evening. A few years back I was getting ready to head out on summer tour. For a band like My Son the Hurricane, it's the best time of the year. Each festival is like summer camp. Pulling in, seeing the sea of tour buses and tour vans, seeing the bands whose tours you've missed, and meeting new friends, and of course the big show on stage. There's nothing better. This is where my son the Hurricane thrives. Leading up to tour, I like to work my job until the last possible day to maximize my paycheck I get while I'm out on the road. In the preparation room at the funeral home, it's my job to make deceased loved ones look their best. Often we're brought clothes that haven't been out of the closet for some time. It wouldn't be uncommon for me to see a suit jacket that hadn't been worn in 10 years. So many times, I like to clean and iron these clothes so the loved ones can look their best. It's a small thing I can do. In that world, the small things count. I was ironing a shirt and pants that day before I left for tour as part of my shift and noticed that we actually had two ironing boards at work. It dawned on me I should take one for tour for the stage costume our bands wear and for those days when we get to do laundry, it would be nice to press them as well. Another little thing. So I threw it in the tour trailer and promptly forgot about it. A few weeks later, we're deep into tour. Many cities, many provinces, many states, many flights. And I have pressed exactly zero things with this ironing board. But we've been having a wonderful time and we find ourselves performing at a festival with a lot of well-known acts. And I found myself sitting backstage on a picnic table when Gordon Downey sat down next to me to eat. I said hello. We'd never met, and I asked who he was performing with, as I didn't see the hip's name on the marquee. He was out touring with a different band of his, and they would be playing the main stage of the festival that evening. It was really neat to meet an icon. I promised I'd check out their set, and invited him to mine. Then, I departed for my own performance. As we performed that afternoon for a full tent, I looked over, and I saw him and his band checking out the show. How nice. It was a great mid-afternoon dance party in the rain. Truly the best thing for a band. So this is where it intersects. Later in the evening, I decided to stay behind and watch a few bands. When I saw Gord waving at me, as I was walking into the artist's area, he asked if his band could borrow our keyboard stand as theirs had broken, and for the life of them, they could not find another one at this festival. Not wanting to disappoint, I went searching only to find that our keyboardists had taken their gear back to the hotel a half hour earlier, and it was quite a ways away. I returned with a compromise. Gord, I said, I do not have a keyboard stand but this should work. I pulled out my funeral home ironing board and he smiled. His keys player smiled. They both said, this is perfect. I watched the set and would giggle up there seeing my morgue ironing board. A few weeks later, I got home and was watching TV when on the news they were showing that Gord and his band were performing somewhere and I broke into laughter when they showed a live clip and I saw his keyboard player was still using my ironing board. I guess they thought, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Tour ended, and as we do in the winter, we hibernate. We work jobs to keep the rent paid. I return to the funeral home to work. Every time I'd use the other ironing board, I'd smile and look down at it and say, hey, maybe next year I'll bring you on tour too.
2: I was just sitting here thinking on the eve of my 40th birthday how far I have come in the last year. Last year, I was dealing with trying to figure out how I was going to support my life if I wasn't going to go back to a hostile and a toxic work environment where I had been bullied for four and a half years. And I had no idea that I was going to leave my job of 26 years once 2022 started. A year ago today, I was sad, a little bit hopeless, dealing with my trauma, and growing and working on my stuff, but I still had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that I needed to advocate for myself for the first time, and I still didn't know what that would look like. As I lie here on my couch at 10 o'clock at night on the eve of my birthday, a year later, I was just reminiscing about this past year and what has happened and how it's transformed. And in June, I officially left my job of 26 years after being on medical leave without pay from October until August. And I have been going to school since March and have completed my life coaching certification, my general counseling diploma. And I'm just now five weeks into my wellness counseling diploma program one of the things that I decided that I was going to do was work with people who'd been bullied in their workplace and who didn't know what to do. And that evolved into culture consulting, which has now evolved into most recently being invited to come into an organization to do some sessions on how to recognize when you're being bullied in the workplace. And I would say that a year later, I am overwhelmed. If I were to use the word overwhelmed, I would say I am overwhelmed by how far I have come and how much has become possible and how different my life looks and how I've never been happier and more peaceful and more content to just be, to just be. What happened to me will never happen again to anyone on my watch. Of that, I am certain.
3: When I was in high school, my mom and I started watching Beverly Hills 90210 together. She had watched it when she was a teenager. So when it came on to Netflix, she wanted to show it to me. And when I was a teenager, I also worked at my parents' boating company on Granville Island in Vancouver. And there was one day I remember where I was working at the front desk and there was a customer who was already Uh, being spoken to and then I saw an older gentleman walk into the office and it took me a couple of seconds before I started to realize that this guy looked familiar, but I couldn't place exactly where I knew him from and then eventually it hit me that this was Luke Perry and I was trying to keep my cool even though inside I was definitely fangirling a lot He was obviously much older than he was when he was in Beverly Hills 90210, but I still had a picture in my mind of him as this teenager, very attractive, and he had the same features but just with a scruffy beard. Obviously, he was playing um, a dad on Riverdale, which was why he was in Vancouver. He was filming and he had an interest in boating, so he had come in, Um, he asked me to show him some of our newer boats in the fleet because he was interested in possibly taking one of his kids out who were around my age, which was funny that I was fangirling about him as a teenager. He was the sweetest guy. He was so nice to me. Cool demeanor, just like you see on TV, but such a kind man. He even shook my hand at the end. I was still trying to remain very professional, even though The other customer who had originally come in had also figured out that he was Luke Perry and wanted to take a picture with him. I also wanted to ask to take a picture with him, but for the sake of our company, I felt like that would be unprofessional, but he shook my hand and he thanked me for my time. And then after he left, I promptly went and called my mom and told her what had happened. And she was, So happy for me, but so upset that it happened to be one of the days that she wasn't working. But that was a very cool interaction. And when I found out that he passed away not too many years afterwards, I was very sad, but I was very happy to have had the opportunity to meet him in person and have that interaction with him.
4: I was born in Boston, lived there until I was 11, moved to Canada. I'm a dual citizen of both countries, my dad being American, my mom Canadian. Youngest of three, definitely the black sheep of the family, mainly because of bad decisions. One of the highlights of those decisions is when I decided, and I think I was 18, in Montreal to buy a 1972 Volkswagen Beetle that was basically held together with coat hangers, tape, and string. It was never street legal. It was never properly insured. Even the plate sticker had a ban on it, which I removed. And basically, I drove that for two years illegally. I got pulled over several times, always let off for whatever reason. I have no idea. Probably just dumb luck. I was married for 27 years, recently separated over the last few years. I have five kids. For the most part, don't seem to hate me. And my family history is actually quite interesting. My mother's father started a company in Canada called Pioneer Electronic. He also, having grown up very poor, used to build his own gliders, which he flew. He even built a submersible submarine, which he put his brother in, and it went down and came back up. My dad's side, his father was a writer in New York City, wrote for Cosmo, uh, wrote for The New Yorker, was, I think, the third top bridge player in North America, and even put my father through two years of Harvard grad school. Betting in Poker and Bridge. Great uncle, Ed Block, who was the musical director of The Ed Sullivan Show. Another great uncle who was an industrial photographer, ended up marrying a Haitian princess. No lack of very interesting characters in my family. And I think one of the wildest things was living in Boston before we moved to Canada. We had a crazy interior designer decorate the house. And we're talking gold foil wallpaper, checkered mirrors in bathrooms with butterfly wallpaper. Everything you would think is 70s. And that's basically me, in a nutshell.
5: I am a 46-year-old wife, mother of three amazing kids. I'm a sister, a daughter, a friend. I'm an entrepreneur and a founder, a volunteer, and an advocate. I'm also a rare disease patient. I was diagnosed nine years ago with a rare connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. That diagnosis ultimately changed the trajectory of my life. At 38 years old, I was not expecting to have to make some really tough choices. I shut down my business. I took a year to try and get my health in order, um, which ultimately ended up leading me down my new journey. Um, So my healthcare is quite complex. It's divided across three hospital jurisdictions and now 11 different specialists. It's a lot to manage, and at times it can feel like a full-time job. I was struggling to figure out a way to keep everything together, and I went to my network of people, which luckily was fairly substantial at the time, and I started asking people, you know, how do you guys manage all of this stuff that accompanies living with a complex illness. And everybody said the same thing. We have file folders, we have binders. My one girlfriend whose son has cerebral palsy and had over 200, I think 230 specialist appointments in his first year of life. She told me that she had five full binders of his healthcare information and she stopped collecting it before he was five years old. So imagine navigating that. You've got a a child in a wheelchair and all of these binders that you're bringing with you to every appointment. So I thought there's got to be a better way. I can't, you know, manage this. And I know that I'm not the only one living with this problem. So unfortunately for my husband and my family, rather than taking the pause that I had promised I would take to get my health in order... I ended up opening up a new business. So I created a digital tool, a web app and a mobile app that helps people living with a chronic or a complex illness or a disability or acting in a caregiver role, manage that journey securely and digitally. What I learned through that diagnosis was that yes, a part of my life ended when I lost my health, but a whole new world opened up for me. My perspective changed. My love and joy and gratitude for my family, my friends, just for this life, really grew exponentially. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to work with and help the groups of people that I do.
0: This is a tip, actually. Be weird, be quirky, be innovative, be interesting. Do the things you want to leave the job, start the thing, follow new passions, or even old ones that made you feel scared. Every single thing you've ever done, all the people you've met, and every single offbeat thing that is part of your makeup helps to make up the person you are today. I actually think the alternative is a little weird. Not being ourselves, that's bananas. I mean, look at Picasso, Einstein, Weird Al, Lady Gaga... If they changed the mold or took a left turn at normal, we likely wouldn't know them. And quite truthfully, I have zero interest in a world without Gaga. Thank you so much to my guests, Rita, Sam, Ian, Christy, and Dano. You can find everyone tagged in the show description and on my social. I would love you to check them out and give them a follow. I'm at This Is It Actually on Instagram and at Jenny Besworth on Twitter. Stay quirky and weird and interesting. Now go say something nice to someone.
2: This is it. Actually, take a sip and grab a seat. Cause this is it.